Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 72 of the Masterclass, the most unplanned episode of all time. You've been warned. So unplanned that I almost forgot to introduce Dave. What's up? Hey, how are you? <laughs> Welcome to the show, sir. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, excited to see what uh, happens tonight. Yeah, this could be an absolute train wreck. Or not. I'm hoping for or not. Frankly, that sounds like a lot more fun. That would be more fun. And I think better for our listeners as well. So this is episode 72, which means that we've got 71 of these under the belt. So this shouldn't be too hard. Uh, yeah, we may be getting a little uh, arrogant here, a little too self. Uh... <laughs> Honestly, here's what happened. We've both been super busy. We had to push recording off a few days. And I showed up and Dave was like, hey, have you shared a show document with me? Nope. Haven't even made one, Dave. Sorry about that. And, well, the next thing up in Matthew was Jesus cursing the fig tree. And we were both kind of like, eh. Didn't really speak to us. So we decided that we're just going to go in a different direction for this episode just to see what happens. So I think that's enough explaining, Dave. We don't have any follow-up either. Oh, no, we do. We have one of the best pieces of follow-up. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I almost forgot. I almost forgot this. Okay, so no joke. 20 minutes ago, as of this recording, um, my buddy Justin uh, sent me an image, which will be in the show notes. (laughs) and. Let me paint a picture for you, if I may. It is in the classic internet meme style with the big white impact font letters with the black outlines. And in it is a picture of white guy Jesus. Because, you know, clearly he was white. I'm shaking my head no right now. We should do a video podcast one time just to... That would be fun too. Show our lovely faces. But anyway, so it's a very... uh like white guy goes to a Presbyterian church feel, except he has hipster glasses on. And the meme says, doesn't drink mainstream beer. Hebrews. He brews. There's actually a he brews beer company and their English letters are made to look like, Hebrew letters. Ah, It's super cheesy. But anyways, I thought that was great, and my friend Justin knows me well enough to know that that's the sort of thing that just makes me laugh. I I LOL'd, Dave. (laughs) Uh, So that, I will have that picture in the show notes for your your viewing pleasure. And if I understand it correctly, the Egyptians created the whole brewing process for beer. So it's been around for a long time. Yeah. While it may not have been like wine, Jesus could have had a beer. Could have. I don't think he was ever in Egypt, though, and I don't know how big of a... uh, (laughs) Does it... it (laughs) How big of a uh, thing beer was in... Well, that's what I mean. I don't... I think it existed, but I don't think it was a common thing in, in that realm. In that part of the, of the world. world. Yeah. Yes, the uh biblical the biblical um Middle East, yes. <laughs> All right. So here's a question that I have for you, Dave. Okay. What are your thoughts on elders in the church? What do they do? What should they do? Are they important? 
I will start broader than elders and would say that every church needs to have some sort of governing body that oversees what uh, that is that is not the staff oversees what the staff does oversees what uh, the pastor the senior pastor the teaching pastor whoever that may be um, I certainly believe well let me ask you this do you do you define elder as a, as a lay person or not so much I I think they definitely can be and you definitely need non-church staff mm-hmm. on that board but i don't think that they not necessarily have to be yeah so i guess that would be my the other piece i would say is that i do believe that elders have a place have a role um you need a board you need a governing body and you need for there to be lay people as part of that but not just exclusively that um, I definitely think that if you're going to have elders, there needs to be that biblical model of them being a godly person and there being consistency, uh, churches being in the church, uh, much like anything you do in the church, it's not a position of power, it's a position of servant leadership. Oh, but it is Dave. <laughs> um. And so, so what do they do if it's not a position of power and if it's a position of service, what are they supposed to do? Uh, I, I'm a, a big believer in anybody, well, everybody in the church should pray, but certainly anybody that has any kind of influence in the direction of the church and what the church chooses to uh, make a focus. Uh, needs to be guided in prayer. And so that would be, for me, an elder or somebody that should be. Um, it, it, it seems even weird to kind of say that there's any difference for the average, you know, all Christians should pray, but there's certainly this sense of an elder needs to be a person of prayer. Um, somebody that spends time listening to God and God's leading and not that sense of so often what we do is go to God with this is what I want please bless it and listen to that because I every church has a, its flavor and I think that's certainly uh the way it should be I don't think every church should be the same and so um you know if your particular church it's missions then so be it um if it's uh social justice uh so be it um, and, and so I think that, that comes from that, the, the uh, from an elder, uh, I think elders should be, um, uh, people that, um, maybe, um, they're not, well, fiscal responsibility is a big part of, I think an elder, cause that's a big part for a church too. And a church's integrity is, is finances. Um, and so while they don't need to be the most frugal person in the world, I think they need to be able to make uh, godly decisions and hear from God when it comes to how money should be spent and where money should be spent. And I definitely believe that we, 
we live in an age and a time where having a mortgage on your church is appropriate and um, you've got to make decisions about uh, do we repair the walls? Do we fix the ceiling, the roof? Uh, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a very practical application to a role that an elder plays in that. Um, and then I think there's the, the third piece, if I was going to break it down into three, uh, I think there's definitely a, an element of they need to be accountable. Uh, they need to be part of the accountability of the church. And certainly a senior pastor, so senior um a senior pastor or anybody on the church um, needs to have hard questions asked of them. And I think that's one of the places where we, um, the body can get easy, get soft, is we don't ask those hard questions. It's like, you know, just because it's not um, this very concrete, visible problem, it doesn't mean it, it's, it can't be lying under the surface. So I think... Um, you know, an elder needs to be somebody uh, that's paired uh, with staff people involved in their lives, and they're asking the hard questions. Um, you know, uh, are you individually, as a, as as a church staff member, are you financially? Um, uh, I can't even think of the word that I'm trying to say. Financially stable. Financially. Compensated? Compensated? No, but just the whole. Are are, are you, like you as a senior pastor? Are you spending the money? We you should you should oh, be spending your yeah, money. Yeah. Um, is your thought life what it should be? You know, are you looking at things on the internet that you shouldn't be looking at? Are you, um, you know, spending time alone with women that you shouldn't be spending time alone with? Or, I guess in this day and age, are you spending time alone with men you shouldn't be spending time alone with? Um. You know, there, I, I think that's another part that elders play is, is accountability. And it's this proactive sense of asking hard questions bef- before something becomes a problem. I'm, I'm responding to, um, like, there, there were certain things that I remember being in the church being asked about that I ha- almost had to laugh about that it was even being asked of me. Um, but as time has gone by and I've gotten older, I'm like, okay, I get that. If I know that question's going to be asked of me and I'm going to be held accountable, then the temptation to even enter into that sin or even enter into that vice um, is limited because I know I'm going to be asked that hard question. So, I don't know. Did I miss anything? Anything that you can think of that... Or maybe I'm not even answering what you were looking for. So, one of... We just had our church annual church business meeting, which I think is a terrible title. I would agree. Um, and part of that process is putting the budget for the next year up for a vote. And then after that is nomination of new elders, if there's any, mm-hmm. church treasurer, church clerk. And one of the things that, so that's where this whole idea of talking about eldership came in, because this was just last Sunday at church. Uh, but one of the things that I remember from when I had to sit in on the elders meetings as part of the staff, because, you know, that's who I reported to, was how quickly and often they became business meetings. And how people would nitpick 
over financial details or things like that and the benevolence fund and helping people out and, and that sort of stuff. And rarely was the purpose of those meetings to discuss the uh, state of the congregation, the uh, spiritual guidance that the elders were providing. Um, Those things were brought up, but they were never the main purpose of the meeting. Hmm. And since I have uh, stopped working there, they have split a small portion of the elder board off into what they call the executive committee, and they're the ones that handle the business stuff. Mm-hmm. And they have made the elders meetings, which is the full elders team, no business talk. It's all supposed to be about where the church is headed, what these men are doing to provide spiritual guidance in their spheres of influence mm-hmm. in the church and outside of the church, and how they can um, focus more on shepherding the the body than deciding, you know, on budgetary stuff. Well, mm-hmm. which is still important, is not, I think, the main the main role of what an elder should do. Um. I certainly agree with you about the accountability part and the praying part for sure. Um, now, I mean, to be frank, I know that that di- that change has been made. I personally haven't felt any difference um, in my own experience, but I'm not exactly... I'm kind of a weird case because I used to work there, mm-hmm. you know? So I feel like maybe they're like, oh, I don't have to worry about him, he, you know, which is like the opposite of the truth, <laughs> you know? So like in theory, what's happened is really good. And I think out of those meetings, there have been some changes in staffing at the church that are going to further develop what they want to do. I just think it's a slow-moving... I mean, churches are slow-moving anyways. Um, but they have uh, they are moving the worship pastor to be the campus pastor to take a more hands-on role in the shepherding and guidance of the spiritual development of the people, um, which I think is a great move mm-hmm. for a litany of reasons. Um, that listeners probably don't care about because they don't know these these people. But you know, in talking with the senior pastor and in talking with the current worship lead, or worship pastor, soon to be campus pastor, it, it it makes a ton of sense. So I think that is something that has come of making the elders meetings more focused on shepherding and guiding. Is how can we better uh, serve the people? So I may not have felt it on a personal level, like an elder hasn't you know taken me under his wing and. Which is fine, you know? That's what Dave's for. Yeah, yeah, you. (laughs) Um, But I see this as one of a few things that I've noticed where, okay, this is the outcome of months of them trying to change there. So I guess I was just interested in hearing, you know, your view on on church eldership. Because it's a very weird thing if you think about it. Yeah. 
you know? I, I think it's a weird thing, and I think it's not as much as somebody wants to argue this, and I'm sure there are people much smarter than me that could. I don't think it's a clearly defined thing. I know scripture refers to elders, and I know like First Timothy 3, 1 through 13 gives a very specific definition of it. But it was kind of even my question to you earlier about the, is it a lay person? Is it a, is it a pastor, an ordained person? Um, but yeah, it's... All right. Clarification time. Mm-hmm. Just to be thorough. What is a lay person? Because that is a term only Ooh, thrown around by church people. That's true. And it doesn't make any sense. What do you mean it doesn't make any sense? A lay person? Like, lay is to lay on something. <laughs> it's spelled L-A-Y. Yes. So I, I was going to ask you earlier, but, you know, when we, we got a good little conversation going. So what, what is a lay person? Well, it, the, the proper term is actually layman. L-A-Y-M-A-N. It's the 90s, though. we got to be inclusive. So we have to say lay person, because, uh, yeah, the, the true word is layman. And basically, lay, a layman is a person without professional or specialized knowledge of a... of. They're not ordained. They haven't been to seminary. They don't have formal training in the ways of the church, generally. Which is why eldership is a weird thing. Because you're putting people that don't have the education, necessarily, some of them might, Mm -hmm. that hopefully the pastoral staff has. But it's the laymen that are running the ship. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, people know God's running the ship and they're just, you know, following, which I get it. (laughs) I get it. But. So I just find it interesting. Yeah. I'm not against it at all. I think I think that over time church staff can become very out of touch with the pulse of what's really happening because a lot of people put up a facade when they talk to church staff, especially the senior pastor because well, you want to look good. Mhm. Um and so having having people that work in the marketplace bringing informed and educated opinions about what is happening outside of that building yeah. is a great idea. And that doesn't mean that pastors don't try. It's just hard when you work in the church and all you do is church. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get an accurate read of your people because you hold a special position in their lives and you don't experience the same daily works things that they do Mm -hmm. it's just tricky so i think while it is weird to have uh less uh educated and by that i mean in in scriptural education they may be phds but it isn't in you know old testament history it's in you know physics or you know law or maybe they're a school teacher but you know, they've been serving in the church for 60 years. That's the kind of wisdom that you can get from someone who's been in both worlds that you can't get from. So it's just, it's a very, it's a very interesting 
proposition, I think. Yes. And I, you know, one of the things, this is kind of a little bit of a tangent here, but uh, in the, in the church, uh, healthier churches, healthier denominations, healthier uh, organizations allow their staff to have sabbaticals. And the idea is about every seven years, you take some time off to recharge your batteries and refocus on God, refocus on yourself and um, ministry, full-time ministry in particular can be very taxing. I've often thought that in line with the sabbatical, there should be two things. One, you get three months to go recharge your batteries and then spend three months doing a, a secular job. And that might be something else I need to define is a job that's not within the church. Um, because I just think, and I was in full-time ministry for about nine years um, right out of college. And you are sheltered. I mean, you are just, um, if you're in a traditional conservative mainline denomination in America, I'm willing to bet that you're fairly sheltered of what really goes on in the world and don't have a clue. Now, granted, I've become a police officer, so my pendulum has swung well past <laughs> center point <laughs> what's, to what's the average? other side. Yeah. Uh but I just think there's that element of you just forget about what is normal uh, in the world. And I think it could be beneficial for people in ministry to go and experience that um, for a while before coming back to ministry. Because um, while ministry to me was taxing and... I've remained out of it for 14, almost 15 years now. Um, I, I, I just, I, and again, I was even younger too. I just think you're a little bit clueless about some things. Um, so, yeah, kind of a tangent there. We specialize the whole in night. The whole night is a tangent tonight, right? Indeed. So, um. So I'm going to read First Timothy 3, 1 through 13, or maybe, well, how about 1 through 7? And this is, it says, qualifications for an overseer. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be to the office of overseer, he desires, desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the com uh, condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he will be thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. You know, for me, honestly, upon first reading of this, I'm sort of like, that person doesn't exist. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of this, 
yeah, if you find that person, they've got this false sort of persona that they put out there for the church. And, uh, you know, as this verse starts out, if you, well, if you aspire to this, it's a noble task. Yeah. Can I Go interrupt? Ahead. Yeah. Is, is your thought that this person doesn't exist more indicative of how um, hard it is to fit the billing or, and, or uh, more telling of how seriously we take Christianity here in America? Hmm. I think that's a good question. Um, I, I think, you know, um, this was written almost 2000 years ago. And so, yeah, there's this element of, uh, the world is different now. And I think in America, we're very good at sort of this outward appearance, sort of, this is what we present. Uh, and it doesn't mean that there aren't good people that have this as, as who they are. Uh, but I, I think that somewhere along the line, one of these breaks down <laughs> for almost all of us. Uh, and then I think the other thing, too, is is there, there are kind of these elements of, um, well, his children will be submissive. I mean, I've seen great, well, what appear to be great Christian people. And their kids just rebel, you know, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. So, uh, to hold somebody to a standard that God didn't, you know, there's that freedom. And if we allow our children to have freedom, then they're going to choose and they may choose against, uh, what it is that we would like for them to believe. So there's even just that element of, um, yeah, I I just think there's that that 21st century America kind of uh we want to look like we have our act together kind of what you know we put on our Christmas card, Christmas pictures that we put out there of this perfect family and uh as we all know that's few and far between and we all have our stuff that we deal with um even the best of us so Yeah. Sorry, I had a yawn there. <laughs> it's almost ten o'clock. And usually that's early for me, but not today. I'm it white. Was a rough day. Yeah. Yeah. Working out. It's supposed to be good for you. What does is make me tired. Yes. Suppose that means it's working. I don't know. You got any questions for me? Um I got a question for you. What do you think about stay-at-home moms? I'm totally jealous. <laughs> totally jealous. And that is not me being ignorant to the level of things that they have to do. It's me realizing I don't have to deal with people if I don't want to. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, so uh, my wife about a year ago got uh switch jobs and her salary tripled wow she was making 
<laughs> Almost nothing. A penny. Uh, no, don't don't get me wrong. She's she's compensated well for her new job, and I'm do two thumbs up for that. Um, but at the time, we had started discussing about oh maybe we should you know start trying to you know have kids and and you know try this whole family thing out. And uh, she said her first thought when she found out how much she was going to be making at her new position was Cam's going to want to be a stay-at-home dad. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't my first thought, but it was, it was certainly, it was, yeah, it was certainly in the top five for sure. Um, and she said, no. And I was like, what, what, why not? She goes, because you'd like it too much. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with being a stay-at-home mom, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with being a working mother. And I think I know why you're asking this. Oh, really? Well, based on some of our discussions, uh, both of our wives work, mm-hmm. and your Melissa was never a stay-at-home mom, was she? Not really, no. Yeah. And Meredith doesn't really want to be. It's not that, and and we're having our first child in uh, a little a little over two months from now. Unless it, unless she shows up early, um, but Meredith won't be a stay at home mom, and I didn't grow up with a stay at home mom. But my parents were always around because the jobs they had, their schedules were flexible, um, and you know Melissa's schedules, she's around a lot. Yeah. Um. So no, I don't have a problem with it, and I I think. Uh, in fact, my boss's wife is a stay-at-home mom, but they have four kids. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the, the woman is always doing something, whether it's cooking, cleaning, taking the kids uh, to the pool in the summertime, getting them ready for school, putting the youngest one down for a nap. I mean, she works just as hard as anybody I know. But the benefit is, is she gets to do it for her family. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, if if you have the means in your family so that a parent can stay home and run the household and, and raise the kids, great. Even if you have the means and you don't want to do it, that's fine. I mean, there's nothing that I can think of in Scripture that says one is better than the other. I think it's just your natural gifting and desires and then the situation. Some people would love to be a stay-at-home parent but can't because one of the spouses doesn't make enough money to support the family. Yeah. To me, it's a non-issue, but I think one of the, one of the potential pitfalls, especially in a community like ours is that most women's ministry in churches is geared at stay at home moms. Yes. And I know that's why you're asking me this question. (laughs) So I'm going to get, I'm going to get to it. Uh, and that's my wife's biggest complaint. Like, we don't even have kids yet, but because she works during the day, she can't go to a weekly women's Bible study. She can't do probably 60 to 70% of the stuff that the women's ministry offers because it's during the day when the kids are at school and the husband is away at work. And the wife has nothing to do, which I don't believe at all because there's plenty to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I think if there's any. If there's any pitfall in the stay-at-home mom versus working mom scenario, it's that the working mom has far less time 
and far less opportunity to be involved with ministries at church. Yeah. Um, you know, because not every working mom wants to go volunteer in the children's ministry or volunteer in the youth group. They got their own kids to worry about, and they probably work with a bunch of children. Yeah. You know, men that are grown-ups, quote-unquote. Um, so maybe they just want to sit around with some ladies and and share and have some fellowship. But they can't really do that because that all happens at 11 o'clock on Thursdays. <laughs> so there you have it. Yeah, and I, I guess I agree with you in terms of, I think it's really up to the individual person whether they want to be a stay-at-home and mom, or mom. And, and ultimately, maybe not even the individual person, but the particular couple and what they want uh, would certainly encourage people to uh, being the dad of an almost 20-year-old daughter. Certainly a conversation that needs to be had before you get married of what are the expectations here. I think one of my hang-ups is when Proverbs 31 gets referred to as, well, Proverbs Proverbs 31, the title is the woman, uh, the woman who fears the Lord and is often, uh, and I, I have to be honest, I don't know a whole lot about Proverbs 31 ministries, which I do know is a woman's ministry. So if this doesn't apply to them, then I apologize. But I think often that those verses are held up as, well, here's what a Christian woman is supposed to be. And I would just say, before you do that, Read what Proverbs 31 really says. About Are they using what, that to defend stay-at-home moms? As huh? a, a, I, I believe it gets used to defend stay-at-home Well, that's moms. ridiculous because in Proverbs 31, she takes what she <laughs> makes to the marketplace and sells yes. it. Which is work. Well, there's there's actually multiple different there are multiple different places in that verse um where she um the the woman of God is is described as doing things that create money for profit to benefit to take the care family, of the family, yeah. To take care of the family. And so uh and again, this is not directed towards Proverbs thirty one ministries because I know nothing about it, but I do know that I've had people say, well, Proverbs 31 is a great example of a godly woman. And it's my just two cents worth. My little soapbox that I'm getting on is just read it and look at it. Because exactly like you said, uh, it talks about going to the market and providing for the family. And um, honestly, I think this poor woman is busier than any woman today would ever be in terms of uh, buying land and selling it reaching out to the needy, uh, uh, selling things that she has made. Um, you know, it's just, uh, well, I'll put it to you this way. It's sort of an unrealistic expectation when you really put it all out there of trying to be everything that is, that is listed in these verses. It's Proverbs 31, uh, starting at verse 10. So, just make sure you know what you're quoting when you quote it, because oftentimes there's more to it than what I think people are aware of. Nonsense. Yes. It's never the case. Never. <laughs> and I'm sure I'm guilty of it, too. So That's why I only quote TVs and movies. I almost said TVs and movie shows. 
instead of movies and TV shows. <laughs> My brain is in. It's been a long day for Cam. Yeah, it's circling the bowl right now. Um, <laughs> any other random thoughts, or should we bring this plane down for a gentle landing? I think we could do that. I think we could finish where we're at. All right. Well, passengers of Flight 72, <laughs> thank you so much for sticking with us through the unscripted, unplanned um, stream of consciousness version of this episode. Um, we really appreciate you guys listening, and we would love to hear from you. If you want to get in touch, you can do so. On Twitter, Dave is at 10.8HBO. I'm at Cam Brennan. You can email us, hello at supermegacorp.net. And then if you go to supermegacorp.net, you can see all of our other shows. If you're into pro wrestling, which might only just be me, I write about (laughs) three articles per week on that subject. And starting this week, we'll be covering college football as well. Ooh. Uh, in uh, just in you know blog post form, um, so be sure to go check out the website and uh, see what else we have to offer. And if you like it, great. If not, well then thanks for checking it out. And we will be back at some point in the future, hopefully very soon. Bye. See ya. <laughs>